If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23 as we continue this Lord's Day in our study of Matthew's Gospel. And as you turn there, let me entice you with some treats. Uh, as you may know, yesterday we had an opportunity to be a part of the picnic in the park and we uh, had a great group of volunteers. Many of you cooked some treats for that. Our hopes were that we could sell a lot of treats there and help fund some of our missions endeavors. And we did sell some. We got some donations. But as many of you know, you stayed inside yesterday. Because it was 182 degrees outside. So uh, unless you were in the Duncan booth like me, it wasn't very pleasant out there. So we still have a lot of treats to sell. And so uh, you can go to the table just outside there. Some of you have been there already. And they are receiving donations, and they'll give you bulk discounts and all kinds of stuff. But uh, if you check that out on your way out, and that will be helpful to our missions causes, it will not be helpful to your diet. So, you can pick those up on the way out. Matthew chapter 23, if you've been with us through our study of Matthew's Gospel, you know that we are now at a point in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, where uh, Jesus will soon be tried, He will soon go to the cross, and we know that in these last few chapters, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, you know that uh, there's been a number of opportunities Jesus has had to interact with the religious leaders of his day, with the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the list goes on, and much of that interaction has been them accusing him, much of that interaction has been him trying to help expose who they truly are, and in doing that, I think Christ exposes who we truly are, and so today we're going to look at this whole chapter, chapter 23, and as you do, I, I want you to think about the context here. Uh, for all the things that Jesus has taught, this chapter is the last public discourse in the ministry of Christ according to Matthew's Gospel. That means this is the last time in Matthew's Gospel that we're going to read a portion of Scripture where Jesus is getting up publicly and He is teaching an audience publicly. Uh, from this point on, he's going to be teaching the disciples. We can certainly learn from that. From this point on, he'll be speaking during his trial uh, and ultimately through his resurrection. We can learn from that. Uh, but there's something about Jesus just addressing the crowd, specifically what he says about the Pharisees and scribes, that I hope you and I will learn from this morning because I think he, he speaks not only to the issue of his day, he speaks to the issue in our day as well. He exposes their hearts and he speaks to our hearts. So let me read. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And as I do, let's listen to the words of our Lord. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, but when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by whom who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often will I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Sovereign God, as we sang just moments ago, we we are prone to wander. We are prone to deceive most of all ourselves. We are prone to think higher of ourselves than we ought. And we are prone to go our own way in our selfishness and our sin. And we are prone to do this all the while while trying to pretend that we are religious, while trying to make ourselves on the outside look a certain way. Father, I look around this morning and I see a lot of pretty people dressed well, fit for the occasion. We look good on the outside. 
but yet you see our hearts. And Father, I pray you would expose our hearts, that you'd help us to understand our heart, and that you would call our hearts to repentance and faith this Lord's Day. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, perhaps you have experienced what I've experienced as you're flipping through the channel sometimes. You'll come across that old movie, sometimes even a current movie, where it is very obvious who the good guy and the bad guy is. Not long ago, I was flipping across uh, an old western I came to, and that old western, it was, it was real obvious, even though it had already started, it was already going on, it was real clear who the bad guy was. Bad guy had on a black shirt. Bad guy had on a black hat. It was also clear who the good guy was. Good guy had on a white shirt. Good guy had on a white hat. And not even just in cowboy movies, we see this in children's movies. We watch a lot of kids' movies in my house, and often when you do, uh, there's the villain who's very obvious. Whether it's the, the mood when they enter the scene, whether it's the music they play in the background, it's real clear who the enemy is and who the good guy is. And yet we know that in life, it's not as easy to distinguish those things. We have trouble, in fact, when someone who we think is good does something bad. And we have trouble with this idea that there's good people and there's bad people. So what happens when a bad person, uh, when a good person does something good? And sometimes it's harder to know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And yet what we realize when we read the scripture is ultimately we're all bad guys. We might put on our white hat. We might put on our white shirt. But as Jesus says in this text, within us the heart is the issue and we know from our study of Matthew, we know from Romans, for example, that, that there's none righteous, not even one. And, and that's why we need the gospel. We don't need the gospel to make us more moral people. We don't need the gospel to, to, to make us better people. We need the gospel to save us. The gospel says that we are all born in sin. The gospel says that in spite of that, Christ went to the cross. He who was righteous, he who deserved no punishment for sin because he had none, he went to that cross for us. He bore the penalty for us that we might receive his righteousness. We need the gospel. But it's not just us in this day. Certainly it has been every person in every day and Never more do we see it in the Scripture than in this passage, Jesus addressing a group of people who, who desperately needed the Gospel. And so, as we look to this today, as we look to Jesus teaching the scribes and the Pharisees, be careful that we don't just look at this as, well, Jesus is talking to the bad guys. Uh, Jesus is talking to all of us. And as He is, He's teaching us some things. He's teaching how the Gospel can change us. And that's what we're going to look at as we walk through this chapter, this Lord's Day. The first thing... We're going to look at is this, that, that the gospel humbles the hypocrite. The gospel humbles the hypocrite. You see there, right at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus says, he, he commends the Pharisees. He says, they sit on the seat of Moses. Listen to what they say. Now think about that, for example. This is a group of people who up until this point have been highly critical of Jesus. This is a group of people who up to this point have had threats against Jesus, who have conspired ultimately to destroy Jesus, and yet Jesus, the first words out of his mouth in this teaching, this public discourse, are what? Listen to them. Listen to what they say. And yet, he's going to talk about how blind they are. He's going to talk about what hypocrites they are. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is pointing to a truth that we see even in our day. Oftentimes, a hypocrite speaks truth. 
oftentimes the hypocrite is saying the exact thing that needs to be said. The issue is they're a hypocrite because they're not living according to what it is they say. They preach it, but they don't practice it. And that is what Jesus is calling to account here. So while he commends what it is they say when they're speaking the words that God communicated through Moses, he condemns what it is they do. For example, he says they place burdens on others while they do nothing. Think about Matthew chapter 15. We looked at that passage where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, why is it your disciples don't practice their tradition of the elders and their ceremonial hand washing? Now that ceremonial hand washing was not something from the scripture. That ceremonial hand washing was not like in our day where before you go out to eat, everybody's got to rub down with all the antibacterial and you pretty much have to bathe in the stuff now to make sure you don't get germs. They didn't know anything of germs there. That ceremonial hand washing the Pharisees instructed people to do, it was a burden. It was essentially an outward practice to say, my hands are clean. And yet the gospel says, no, they are not. Because our heart's not clean. And so on one hand, the Pharisees, Matthew 15, they're placing this burden, and then they're completely ignoring what other things in the law say. For example, Jesus points out in Matthew 15, you're not honoring your parents. You're not taking care of your parents. You're claiming that things that you need to use to take care of them belong to God. You're basically trying to find a loophole in the Scripture so that you can indulge in things yourself. Jesus calls them to account on that and says, you're just placing burdens on others while you do nothing. It goes on to say that they do all their deeds in order to be seen by others. We saw this in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, don't pray like this, don't fast like this, don't give like this. And he's referring to the practice of the Pharisees. Who when they would give, would do it in a way where everybody knew. Who when they would pray, would do it in a very public way where everybody could hear. Who when they would do these things that were supposed to be concentrated, consecrated unto God, they did it in a way just so people would see them. Jesus is getting the heart of the matter and he's saying that's not who we are to be and yet that's exactly who they are. And if we're not careful, that's who we are as well. And we talk a lot about giving in the church. And oftentimes when we talk about it, we do it in such a way where we want to encourage people to, to give in a public way. We want to encourage people to give so other people can see you're giving. Everybody needs to know that you're doing your part. And yet we find that practice is more in line with the Pharisees than it is with Christ who says that the fruitfulness of your life there's going to be an overflow of what's going on in your heart. And just putting a check in a plate doesn't mean your heart's where it needs to be. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for just doing these things so that others can see them. He also condemns them for their practice of displaying their religion on themselves. He talks about their phylacteries being broad and their fringes long. Now, I don't see any phylacteries this morning, so I guess we're safe there. Uh, phylactery, if you don't know... It's a little compartment, sometimes a box, sometimes a pouch that Pharisees would, would hang on their clothing. And they would actually have little scriptures that they'd have written out on a little piece of parchment. They'd have them tucked into that. Well, one of the ways of them displaying how righteous they were is they'd wear a lot of these phylacteries. And so they, they, they would display their righteousness to others. Look at all these scriptures I have on me. Well, again, I don't see anybody with those on this morning. And yet, we can be tempted the same way. We can be tempted to display our faith and yet not really live according to our faith. Am I the only one who's been cut off on the road by the car with the Christian fish on the back? Maybe it was one of you. 
How many times you've been sitting in traffic and almost got run into by the car that's got 15 Christian bumper stickers across their back window? Maybe that's why they can't see you. All those bumper stickers blocking their sight. Why do we do that? Why do we display our faith and put it on our car and sometimes on our shirts and all over the place and yet at the same time neglect actually living according to it? Because we, like the Pharisees, are tempted just to display our religious devotion while we actually have none. Jesus condemns these things, but as He does, He he calls on the Pharisees and scribes. He calls on you and I to replace our hypocrisy with humility. Jesus says they love the names they're called. He says you love being called rabbi. You love being called instructor. You love being called all these things. You love that when you walk in, that people give you a seat of honor, that they treat you a certain way. You love that. And yet, you're not to go by those titles. You're not to call anybody father or rabbi. And I don't think Jesus here is condemning you ever referring to someone as father. You know, don't go out and scold your kids next Father's Day. How dare you call me father? Uh, you see that title used in the Scripture. You see even Paul referring to Timothy that, that he was like a father to Timothy who was like a son to him. I don't think the Scripture is saying we can't call anybody instructor. James chapter 3, let not many of you be teachers, not because it's a bad title, but because you'll incur a stricter judgment. I think what Jesus is getting to here is that these were titles, these were labels the Pharisees and the scribes had that were idols to them. They were more focused on the title of being the instructor than they were of what it was they were to instruct people according to, God's Word. They were more focused on being called Father than they were on pointing people towards their Heavenly Father. We see that same temptation today. You and I are tempted to let people know about our position, our office. Well, I've been a deacon of Bloomfield Baptist Church for... 282 years. I've been a Sunday school teacher for this long. I'm the pastor of such and such church. We, we throw out these titles as if there's some business card that says, I am righteous. Look at me. Look at my title. Look at who I am. And yet, what does Christ say? He says, no, that's not the point for people to look at you. The point is for them to look to Christ. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees is the more people look to them, the more they're missing out on the real thing. And it's the same thing with us. See, we, like the Pharisees, can be involved in the practice of calling people to follow us, and yet we're going the wrong way. Jesus condemns these things, and He calls them to humility and he does it verse 11 by saying and reminding them of a teaching he's already given many times the first is going to be last the last is going to be first the one who exalts themselves will be humbled the one who humbles themselves will be exalted he calls the pharisees and scribes he calls you and i to humility and the gospel enables us to do that the gospel models for us humility christ highly exalted on the throne at the right hand of His Father in heaven does what? Humbles Himself. Not just to go do a couple of chores. Not just to serve and say, look what I did. Humbles Himself 
comes to earth, the gospel tells us, takes on humanity that he might go to the cross for the sins of man. The scripture says he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And Christ calls us to this same humility. And yet, what is the desire of our flesh? The desire of our flesh is to be critical. The desire of our flesh is to be exalted. The desire of our flesh is to be served by others. The gospel calls us to something else. We also see that the gospel focuses and allows us to focus on our sin and not just the sin of others. Jesus, during the majority of this chapter now, after setting this up by basically pointing out the, the issues with the Pharisees, Here, here's how you are, here's what you do, this isn't how it should be, he then gets what's known as the seven woes. Most of you have a chapter heading on this chapter, it says the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. As he goes through these, he, he is calling to account basically everything that falls under the same umbrella, and the umbrella is this. The scribes and the Pharisees were very quick to point out the sin of others. That's what they did with Jesus. Why don't your disciples do this? Because this is the right way and they're wrong. They're very quick to point out the problem with others. They're very quick, using that bad guy now, would you say, there's the guy with the black hat. There's the guy with the black shirt. There's the guy who's the bad guy. And yet, what Jesus points out is, while they're quick to do that, they're not very quick to look at the real issue. The issue that's themselves. And that's why he uses titles for them such as blind guides, blind fool, or blind men. But think about that title, blind guide. You, many of you have gone on a vacation or perhaps you're going to go on a vacation. Let's imagine you load the family up, go out to the Grand Canyon, go to a little area It says towards the Grand Canyon. We're going to go down a little treacherous mountain range here, let you see firsthand some things. And, and you show up and the, the guide who normally takes you on tours that day isn't there and all of a sudden, you see this man come from the background. Sunglasses on, stick in hand. My name's Bob. I'm blind. But I've read about the Grand Canyon. And I'm going to take your family through the most treacherous trails in the Grand Canyon. Now, how many of you would be excited about that? You would load them back in the car and find the nearest something else to do. Uh, why? Because a guide is supposed to have knowledge. A guide is supposed to be able to instruct. A guide is supposed to be able to lead. The Pharisees, in theory, were supposed to be guides. They were supposed to teach people the things of God. And yet, what does Jesus say to them? You're blind. What is he saying they are blind to? They are blind, as we often are, to their and to our own sin. He goes through a list of things with them, and among others, he says, they're legalistic. And they're judgmental. And they're so busy telling other people what they need to do, telling other people how they need to be, that they don't look in the mirror and see their own sin. And yet, that's what the Gospel teaches us. The Gospel does not say to us, go find some sinners out there. Go find some people out there who have issues. The Gospel says, go to the bathroom and look in the mirror. And if you can't see well enough through that, pick up the Bible and read it. It is a greater mirror than the one in your bathroom. It will show you and it will show me that the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem is our heart. The problem is our sin. And the gospel answers that problem because the gospel 
gives us a new heart. The gospel doesn't say, well, you can work this heart out and make it a little better. (laughs) The gospel doesn't say we can dress this heart up and it'll be just fine. The gospel says the reality of what it is. We need a new heart. And that's exactly what the gospel gives us. But the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites of Jesus' day, the hypocrisy in us of our day leads us to think, no, we can just tell people how to fix things. We can go disciple people. Jesus calls them out. You, you go across the world to make a proselyte, and yet you are condemning them because you're just teaching them to do the wrong things that you yourself are doing. Jesus points out that they have trivialized God's Word to their advantage. In verses 16-22, through 22, He talks about how that this whole practice of oaths and swearing, the, the Pharisees thought it to be sin if you swore an oath in the name of God. We talk today, don't use God's name when you're making an oath or swearing. This day, Pharisees would not use God's name or anything referenced really directly to God. If they did in an oath, they considered it to be null and void. But you can see where they trivialized this. So if someone made an oath by the altar, you know, I swear on the altar of the temple, they would say, well, that's null and void. But if someone says, well, I swear by the offering that I placed on the altar, well, they said that oath was binding. They they trivialized things. They found little minute details. In all likelihood, they trivialized them for their own advantage. You can see how they do that as well when Jesus talks here about this whole issue of tithing, this whole issue of straining at a gnat but swallowing a camel. What is Jesus saying there? Well, we know that the Scripture called for people to give their first fruits to God. You can see here with the Pharisees and scribes, they would be as specific to find the smallest minute thing in their garden. You, you take the little herb and you tithe that herb. You, you give a little bit of every little thing you've got and yet you've completely missed out on the heart of the law. Jesus is saying, you've tried to follow the law and all the details of it, and yet you've completely missed out on the heart of it. What's the heart of it? Jesus says you've ignored justice, you've ignored mercy, you've ignored faithfulness. And for these things, he says, woe to you, and they're condemned. And Then he gives illustrations to help them understand, to help us understand. He says the Pharisees, the scribes, he says us and our hypocrisy today, that they're like a cup that's been clean on the outside. That they're like a bowl, a plate that's been clean on the outside, but not on the inside. Imagine today, after church, you decide you're going to go out for a fancy lunch at Bloomfield's Best and only restaurant. So you go over here with your family to hometown pizza and You've eaten all these desserts, so you've got to eat healthy. So you, you get a big salad. And they bring that salad, and you can see them walking through the kitchen there, and the outside of that bowl looks so clean. And they set that bowl down in front of you, and you are disgusted. Because the food looks okay, but that bowl ain't been clean in a long time. You know, the kids did the dishes, if you understand. It is not what it needs to look like. And you look at that bowl, and you say, I'm not eating out of this. And the waitress says, well, why not? Look at the outside of that bowl. Look how clean that bowl is. And then you look at your fork. And your fork actually has food still on it from the last person that ate with it. And you say, this fork is dirty. And they say, well, no, it's not. Look at the handle and look how clean it is. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, Jesus is saying to us, that's how we are. 
We focus on the external. We try to clean up the outside. Jesus said it is like the headstone of a grave. You can clean it up. You can whitewash it. You can put flowers all around it. But if you dig far enough down, what are you going to find? You're going to find decrepit, rotten bones. He says that is how we are. We focus on the outside. We focus on the sin of other people. But all the while, we ignore the heart issues. The good news is, Jesus says, the, the gospel is the answer. But in order for us to respond to the gospel, we need to stop being critical of the sin of others. And we need to start looking to the sin in our own lives. I've had the opportunity and the burden through years of ministry to sit in counseling with many people. One of the hardest counseling appointments for me is usually marriage counseling. I, I usually don't have people who show up in my office and say, well, things were going so good, we just wanted to come tell you. Uh, Pastor, we don't have a problem in the world. We just wanted to make sure everything was good. Uh, in fact, we had so few problems, we wanted you to tell us a couple that maybe we could have. Now, usually when they come to my office, it is on the tail end. It is on the downward slope. And this is normally what happens. Normally, the first person to speak is the first person to tell me all the problems that their spouse has. Usually they do not sit down and say, Pastor, we are here today because I am a sinner. Because I need to repent. Because I have issues. Usually they sit down and say, Pastor, let me tell you how messed up they are. And it's not just them, it's me. We're very quick to point to the sin of other people. And yet the gospel in our lives requires us to deal with our own sin, to deal with our own issues. We can't look at a problem and say, well, if they did that, or they did that, or they did that, man, it would just be a lot better. No, we have to look to our own heart, our own sin, and be called to repentance. And this is what the gospel enables us to do. And this is what Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees through these examples of things like tombs, through these examples of things like cups and plates. It doesn't just stop there. Jesus points out their tendency. He points out our tendency to think higher of ourselves than we should. Jesus talks about how they think if they lived back in the day when the prophets were slain, they would have done something different. Jesus points out how they are exalting themselves and thinking better of themselves than they should. In essence, this is like the person today who says, well, you know what, if I had lived back in Jesus' day, I wouldn't have yelled crucify Him. If I lived back in Jesus' day, I would have been saying, well, don't you understand who He is? Don't you understand He's Lord? Why aren't you worshiping Him? And yet, what does the Scripture tell us? The Scripture tells us in the triumphal entry at the beginning of the week we've been studying, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, people are yelling, He's the Lord. People are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is here. People want to worship him because they think he's a political king who's going to free us from Roman tyranny. And yet, what does the scripture say? Before the week ends, those same people are yelling what? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And friends, it's not just them, it's us. You see, we're no better than the Pharisees and scribes here. What we may want to do a little historical revision and think well if we were there we would have or we were there we would have or we were there no we just need to look at our lives and where we are now how well are we doing our tendency is to sin our tendency is to self-indulgence our tendency is to self-exaltation 
And that's what Jesus is pointing out about them. And in doing that, he shows them that there's condemnation coming. He shows them that there is penalty for that sin. He says, you claim this, you are admitting that you are the children of these who did this, and their sin is going to be on you, and your sin is going to be on you, and judgment is indeed coming. But that's not where he stops. And that's not the last point. The last point we see in this passage that I place there for you, the one I want to leave with this Lord's Day is this, that the gospel, in addition to these things, leads us to compassion for the condemned. It enables us to have compassion on the condemned. You and I, when we read this text, have every right and every thought in our mind probably would take us towards thinking, okay, here's Jesus. He's gotten all this criticism from the Pharisees. He knows they want to kill Him. These aren't just people who you know, aren't going to vote for Him. These are people who want to see Him killed. And here's his opportunity to set things straight. Here's his opportunity. He's already done. He said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. We expect him just to... Done. That's not what he does. That's not the heart of our Lord and King Christ. Notice what he does. Verse 37. He says, judgment is coming. He said, these are things you have done. These are sinful And yet we see the compassion of our Lord who says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He does not release them of the culpability of their sin. But He says this, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus in His compassion says to them, In their sin, and their criticism, and their waywardness, and their proneness to wander, how often He has looked to them and said, if you would just repent. How often He has looked to them and said, if you would just have faith. This is at the heart of our Lord. This is the heart of our Lord today. Perhaps you are here this day, and you have heard the Gospel, and you have heard the Gospel, and you have heard the Gospel time and time again, but your thought is this, but I've done so much. But pastor, you don't know where I've been. I know God can forgive anything, but you don't know what it is I've done. And perhaps you see God and you see Christ as being done with you, and yet the Scripture says He is not. The Scripture says Christ is calling out to you even now through His Word, through His Spirit, to you directly. Come. Repent. How often He has wanted you to do it. How often He has wanted to take you that picture of that, that mother hen protecting those around her. He's wanted you to come to Him. He's wanted to embrace you. But what does He say to the Pharisees and scribes? He says, but you wouldn't do it. But, but, but He has compassion. He calls them and yet He reminds them there's going to be a day coming. There's going to be a day when they and everyone else say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Scripture tells us the day is going to come when the repentant and the unrepentant will bow their knee before King Jesus. You have the opportunity to do that, not as an unrepentant sinner who will then spend eternity separated from God. You have the opportunity to do that as one who embraces Christ as your King. That that is a word for you this morning. But there's also a word for those of us who've done that. There's a word for those of us who have bowed our knee to Christ, who have repented and placed our faith in Him. And the word is this. How often 
Or when was the last time that you wept for your city? When was the last time that that, that neighbor who's not a believer, that coworker, that family member, rather than being critical of them and talking to everyone about their sin, when's the last time you wept for them? Christ had every reason just to stand in condemnation over Jerusalem and its leaders. And yet we see in this text, we see in other texts, that He gets to the point where He is weeping for them. This is the compassion that Christ calls us to have for the world. This is why we need to be engaged in missions around the world. Because God's heart is for the world. We're a part of it. God's heart is for your neighbors and co-workers and people throughout our county to come to Christ, to come to repentance and faith. That's the heart of God. But God's heart doesn't stop there. God's heart is for people who have never heard the gospel in parts of Asia. God's heart is for people who have never heard the gospel in Lebanon. God's heart is for people who have never heard the gospel in parts of South America. That they might hear the gospel that you're hearing this morning. Are you compassionate towards that? Do you, do you weep for that? Do you live that that might happen? That is part of God's call for us as well. Friends, my, my heart, my desire is that we would be a church who on that day when the repentant and the unrepentant all bow their knee that, that we would be among the repentant and that we would be among those who maybe today they're not repentant but we would take the gospel to them. That, that we would be among those who look around and see those who they were in darkness, they were condemned, they were, had the heart of the Pharisee and the scribe and yet through God's grace He used me, He used you, He used our church, He used the missions endeavors of our church, He used a Kentucky Changers project in July of 2012 to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that they might bend their knee as a repentant person one day and say, Lord and King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the Gospel call on our lives. I thank You for the Gospel and its work in my life and the lives of so many here. Father, at my best, I'm a Pharisee and a scribe. Lord, at my best, I'm undeserving, I'm unrepentant, I'm depraved and lost. But the gospel doesn't rest on my best. It rests on your best. And your best was Christ on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Lord, that I can be counted righteous now. Not because of my deeds. Not because of my works. Not because of my perfections. But because of Christ. May we all experience what it means to be covered by His blood. And may we take that message out to a lost and dying world. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.